This programme was made with the support of the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with the television licence fee. Reverberations. Produced by Alan Meany. As a teenager, I loved writing stories, poetry. I really got started doing spoken word when I auditioned for this workshop for um, the Lingo Festival when it was up and running. And it was under the mentorship of Colin Keegan and Temperamental Miscellaneous. So I went um, page in hand and just shook the entire time. But I read my poem and left thinking I'm after making a fool of myself. So I was accepted into this workshop and they didn't... Uh, it wasn't really a poetry writing workshop. It was a performance poetry workshop. So they taught me how to stand in front of a crowd without wetting myself, essentially. And uh, I had severe social anxiety when I was a young kid and teenager. So doing this workshop allowed me to, you know, kind of see the power that I have within my own voice. And my voice matters and what I have to say is important. So it kind of gave me that confidence within myself. And after six weeks were up, we uh, did a showcase part of the Lingo Festival. And that was the first time I performed in front of a crowd and I just got hooked. I enjoyed it so much. And, um, you know, I still get the same feeling after every performance, especially when people come up and say that, you know, thank you for sharing what you had to say and what you did say is important. And it just, you know, it hits in that, you know, important place that's like, okay, what I have to say is valid, my feelings are valid and it resonates with people. So that's how I got started. The poem that I um, kind of read out at this workshop uh, audition was called, um, it was called uh, If You Were a Starlight Journey. And it was a love poem. So it was about how you could scour the universe and the earth and the moon. And it was just about finding true love, really, which is kind of ambitious for, I guess, a 15, 16 year old. So it was loads of nature imagery and it was the first kind of proper poem that I put my name to and be like, you know, this this is something I'm proud of. Um, so I was really happy with the poem and um, it actually got published by university paper as well. So um, it was great and that was my big start, I suppose, in spoken word. I loved poetry in school and I think that's down to my poetry teacher. Um, I went to the Institute of Education, so I had four English teachers and my poetry teacher was my favorite because we had to analyze poems and you know he'd say okay read this poem doesn't make sense no okay well then we're gonna dismantle it and it was like you know seeing the behind scenes of a poem and seeing what makes a good poem and I enjoyed it so much I loved poetry in school but I knew I could never write like that but I knew I could never write like that because it was a different time and this is, this is my time. So, of course, my poetry is going to be more contemporary. The language is going to be different. And um, so I still have a love of poetry from, you know, before my time. And I love the poetry of modern times as well. I feel like the language is different from, um, you know, the likes of Yeats and Heaney because language changes over time. And, you know, we have a lot more colloquialisms in what we have to say. And what I love about spoken word in particular is that it's the everyday everyday language and um, it's not for those who have poetry degrees or those who have English degrees it's for everybody who has a story to tell and I like how the language is so accessible to absolutely everybody 
and I try and make my poetry as accessible to everybody. I don't want it to be up its own hole, you know what I mean? I want it to be accessible. I want to use everyday language. And I feel like that's the real difference between, you know, proper poetry that we learn in schools and poetry we do now. I get asked that question a lot, the difference between page poetry and performance poetry. And I guess my answer to that is if it's a good poem, it can be performed in front of a crowd and it can be read um, on your own as well. There is a difference in that you get to be a little bit more intimate with a piece of writing when you're reading it, it's you and the words. But you also get an insight into how the poet was feeling when they perform it. So um, I've seen a poet perform their piece maybe three or four different times and they performed it differently those three or four different times because they can swing the mood. They have control over their words and the tone that it can take. And it's incredible to see a poem shift and, you know, the atmosphere change and the way they can perform it in so many different ways that I think page poetry, you know, you read it, but you have your own interpretation and in that way you know the two can't be compared really but also a good poem it should stand on its own on the page and should also be performed you should be able to hear the onomatopoeia the alliteration assonance sibilance you should be able to hear those through the poem and I think that's what makes a great performance piece when you can hear all those sounds I get nervous every time and it's the moment just before I step onto the stage that I am most nervous and I just want to flee. I just want to get out of there. It's like the most horrible feeling in the world knowing that in a couple of seconds you are going to have to stand in front of however many people. But once I stand on stage, that nerve, that nerve just goes. You know, if I am nervous, I've learned how to control that energy, that excess buzz that goes around your body. I've learned to control that. And um, I had a show last year where I got it really, really bad, where I was in the stairwell ready to go on stage. And the guy who was going to go on after me probably saw how white my face has gone, all colour just disappeared. And he said to me, you know, you, you were the most terrifying thing out there, which is funny because it was a burlesque show that I was doing this poetry at. And the guy that was going after me was a sideshow um, freak, essentially. That's what his show was. He was a sideshow freak, which meant he hurt himself intentionally for entertainment. So he had skull makeup. His name was Grim. And I thought it was so apt that this skeleton man was telling me that you are the most terrifying thing out there. And that is now my mantra every time I go on stage is there's no reason to fear the people that I'm going to be performing poetry to, if anything. You know, I want to be the catalyst for change. I want to change people's minds. I want to start conversations. So, yeah, I am the most terrifying thing that they're going to see. So that's how I counteract my nerves before I go on stage. I get this elated high. I, you know, I just don't want to stop when I know I have to come off stage. 
you know, I just get real sad about it because I enjoy performing for people. I love seeing their faces and I love, you know, seeing my words resonate with people. Um, but then I do have the come down where, you know, the energy is drained out of me and I will sleep for 18 hours. <laughs> I feel like um, when people start out writing poetry, it, I, I call them baby poems, where people are trying to find, um, you know, the themes that best, you know, showcase their work. And a lot of people will write love poems to begin with. And I, I'm not an exception. I wrote really, really bad love poems and really sappy heartbreak poems. And I feel like the way my poetry has changed is that it's become more universal. It's not just about me. It's how I exist in this world. And it's a a lot more about social issues and, um, you know, my experience of feminism, my experience of heartbreak and trying to dig deep into how, you know, it's still my experience, but how can other people relate to what I'm feeling? So I try and make my poetry have more, you know, relatability and trying to latch onto universal themes. It's an interesting one because for traditional poets, you know, they apply to literature magazines and they you know, they try and get their work out there and the more um, publications they can get on their CV, it allows them to go forward and get a book deal. They can, you know, submit their manuscript and, um, you know, the likes of Salmon Poetry or Daedalus Press will, you know, pick it up and they get the book deal and they get to tour. And that's the same with other writers as well. But for spoken word, it's a different matter because um, I was asked by Poetry Ireland to kind of explore what success looks like in the spoken word realm and you know when you compare it to published authors we could go down the route of um, getting books published and going on tour but there's other ways you can release an album and do it that way or does it look like getting booked across Europe and doing gigs night after night does it look like bigger crowds so it's really hard to you know, to give advice to somebody on how to make money off their craft, because as a poet, you don't necessarily fit in with the published authors, but you don't necessarily fit in with the musicians. So where do you stand? This is an industry that is in its infancy. We don't know what success looks like. Does it look like Emmett Kirwan, who has millions of views on his um, poetry films, who is also a theatre maker and and an actor. I feel like a lot of spoken word artists, they are something else as well. There's no one spoken word artist who does nothing else. So I suppose what success looks like to a spoken word artist might be Holly McNish in England, who doesn't really do anything else like Kate Tempest would do hip hop and music alongside spoken word. So for money wise, you know, you can ask you get asked to do a gig and um, you could ask them to pay your fee of 150 euro and they go, they'd laugh in your face and go, well, uh, you're charging 150 euro and this person over here 
is happy to do it for free. So unless we set a precedent within our own industry of this is the fee that you need to pay if you want a spoken word artist to come to your event, spoken word artists aren't going to make any money. And that's what I want to do with Bounce and Bear. I want to set that precedence of um, paying artists to do work. And, you know, artists should have that representation. They should feel safe to say, well, no, this is my fee and you should pay it instead of kind of going, okay, um, okay, what's, what's the exposure like? And, you know, can I, how much is this going to cost me to go to this gig? Like, can I afford to give this up? Because it's just going to go to somebody else anyway. And it creates this competition between spoken word artists as well. So, Yeah, uh, if you're going to ask me about spoken word and money and poets and money, I'd say the jury is still out. We have a lot of work to do before spoken word is a viable job, I suppose. Boundless and Bear is a spoken word agency that myself and Melanie O'Donovan set up in January of 2018 and the idea behind it is to promote spoken word in Ireland so essentially to raise the profile of what spoken word is and to promote and represent artists and events that exist on a nationwide scale. So um, we are heading in, this is our second year in existence now, and we've produced uh, monthly gig guides to let people know what events are on and how they can get involved. We do um, podcasts, so we sit down with an artist and we ask them about their work, we get them to read it out. And it just gives us a little bit of an insight into, you know, how other artists are living, how they work, how they process what they do and how they write. We've released a magazine, which is the first of its kind. We don't have a magazine that documents and canonizes the spoken word scene as it exists and it evolves. So um, that's something that I'm really excited about. We're coming up with our second issue of that now. And it's all about interviewing artists and reviewing events and just kind of, you know, showing Ireland and the world what spoken word in Ireland looks like. Our first batch of magazines sold out within 36 hours and we have, we've had an influx of um, article pitches for the second edition. I knew going in, creating the first one, that there would be a lot of, you know, raised eyebrows as to what the hell we were doing. Um, but now that we've had the first one out and it kind of showed that this is this is what we're reaching for. This is what we want. You know, poets have been messaging us even just to say thank you for your work. Or, you know, they've been emailing us saying, I have an idea. Can I like, can you can you write an article about our town over here? And it's, you know, the idea behind the magazine is to not be so Dublin centric. That's what I don't want. I want um, to document hip hop in the north. I want to document comedy in the south. Um, I want to go into the small, small towns of like Kilkenny and Clare and just see what spoken word communities exist there and just shine a light on it. Just just to show that it's not just happening, happening in Dublin. It's not just happening in Cork. It's everywhere. And surprisingly, like I was surprised to find out spoken word is everywhere and it's bringing communities together, which is so exciting for me. The reason why I love spoken word in particular is it 
brings people together. It connects people on a level that, you know, reading a book by yourself is not going to do. You can binge an entire show on Netflix, but, you know, you're not going to feel any more connected to the human race because you're binge watching Orange is the New Black. Yes, it's about certain social change, but if you go to an open mic, you don't know what you're going to get. Someone might step up and talk about male suicide. You might get somebody who comes up and talks about feminism and misogyny in the workplace. And it's not just, it's different to watching button poetry in particular um, on Facebook, which has got millions of views. But if you go to an open mic in your local town, you're hearing problems that are arising amongst your own community and it's starting a conversation with people. So the spoken word scene in Ireland, I wanted to see it grow. I wanted to see it evolve and challenge itself, which is which is difficult because it hasn't really defined itself in a way. But you know, once I feel like it's defined, it can then push itself further, start conversations and bring communities together. And I feel like you know, we can do that as, you know, as a scene, as a movement. It is a cultural movement in a way. And spoken word artists are taking part in protests. We saw that with Repeal the Eighth. We see that with the homeless crisis. Um, artists were joining the the protest at Apollo House. So um, there's a lot to, there's a lot of room for growth with the spoken word scene in Ireland. I suppose I first came across Sarah Kay, as I think many people do. Sarah Kay is a spoken word artist from the States. And seeing her perform her poetry, it just kind of lit a match under my arse to say that, you know, if you want to feel this way watching her, you can do that yourself. And I wanted to know how to do that. And so I just started writing and writing. And then from writing, that's how I got my lingo edition and it kind of spiraled from there. But there were a lot of American poets that I watched when I first started getting interest in spoken word. And then um, as I got involved in um, the Dublin scene and started performing in open mics on the Dublin circuit, I saw more poets like me, my age group. And I was just blown away. Lewis Kenny in particular, um, Hazel Hogan. You know, there are so many to count, but I think... The poets that have really influenced me are probably Kay Tempest, Holly McNish, and, you know, there are a few American poets as well. And, you know, Sasha Turfus, Felice Olusanya, or Feli Speaks, um, you know, poets who have just changed the game for what I thought spoken word could be. And just, you know, I love watching poets and thinking, OK, I could never do that. But it just kind of says to me, OK, well, if you can't do that, do something that nobody else can do either. So it's pushing me to try new things within spoken word as an art form. I will generally wait for inspiration. Um, I'm not a very disciplined writer. So I keep a notepad um, where I just write down ideas as they come. If I hear a sentence that I think sounds really cool, the way it's said, I will write down that sentence. If I see something that, you know, I can't even put into words. I'll just write down exactly what I'm seeing and then maybe hopefully subconsciously it'll come back to me and I'll be able to describe what I've seen. If I feel something in a certain situation, I'll write down the situation and how I felt. And what happens with these notes is that sometimes I can connect the dots and a poem emerges from my notes. Yeah, no, I'm not a disciplined writer whatsoever, but my process is um, it has to mean something to me and I have to have a personal experience attached to it. I can't write about something that I have no idea about. Like if I've never been in a situation, I can't write about that situation. It's unfair of me to do that. Um, I 
don't want to be known as somebody who writes somebody else's stories. I want everything to be authentic and everything to, you know, be a, a Melissa poem. I don't want someone to be like, oh, well, anybody could have done that. I want someone to be like, that's Melissa Ridge's poem, even if they don't know that I've actually written it. So that's my goal as a writer, to have that. I wrote about Dublin and I am not technically native to Dublin. I grew up in Maynooth in Kildare, but I went to school in Dublin and I've gone to college in Dublin and I work in Dublin. So in a way, it feels like Dublin has become a second home to me. But I have this kind of disconnect to it in that I know that my family is from there and I was born there in um, Hollis Street, but I, I was never raised there. And so, you know, it's always felt like a distant cousin or something, you know, like I know we're meant to be family, but I still don't know you. And so I love the history behind Dublin, which is why I started with, you know, the smashing of windows by Hannah Sheafy Skeffington. And I love the history of like the Haypenny Bridge and how, you know, you had to pay half a penny to get across it. I love that. There's such a history to it. And, um, you know, Dublin right now is in a kind of upheaval and we've seen social change with like gay marriage and repeal the eighth and it's great to see how far Dublin has come but it's also important to see you know who who were the change makers so the soundscape I chose for my poem um was a metaphorical one like obviously I didn't hear a lot of what I said I did but I wanted to include that. I wanted to include Dublin's past as well as its present. And, um, you know, sitting on the boardwalk, you hear so many sounds. And I want to try and capture that. I love the River Liffey. And I, I love the fact that there are so many, there's probably dead bodies in there for all we know. And it just holds a lot of Dublin's history and it hasn't changed. So that has stayed the same, more or less. I mean, it's been dug deeper and I know that it used to flood Temple Bar and I kind of love the fact that it did that. Um, and people have tried so hard to kind of control this river, but they would they don't want to get rid of it because, you know, it's the one thing in Dublin that has stayed. Um, and it, I love the fact that it divides north and south. Like there is such a cultural difference within one city. The soundscape that I did choose was just the life and the heartbeat that exists in Dublin. So um, how it has evolved into this elite city and you see the crowds of people that are rushing past, trying to get on buses, hopping in taxis, getting home. 
And it reminds me so much of New York. You know, you see all these office goers and they're really fancy office going suits and things. And yet they're wearing sneakers, which is something that people in New York do. And my mom has always kind of laughed at that. It's like, you know, it just looks so different and weird and just looks so mismatched. But that's what Dublin is now. And and I just want to try and capture that heartbeat of Dublin the good bits and the bad bits. So, you know, there's a lot more homeless people now than there probably has ever been. I mean, I could be wrong in saying that, but it's almost like every time I turn a corner, there is someone asking for money. And it's horrible that, you know, we can't do anything about it. It's up to the government to do that, but it's still become, it's still part of the soundscape of Dublin. You have people looking for money. You have tents that are everywhere, you know, I come in from the Keys whenever I come into Dublin and you can count all the tents that you see on the way up. And I think what struck me was that you hear the wind against the tents and it sounds like flags waving. And I was like, oh, that's funny because we have like every time there's a festival, every time there's the pride parade, every time there's a match, we hang up flags and it's like, oh, look at us. We're so proud of who we are. And, you know, I wanted to show that, yeah, we can be proud, but we have to acknowledge the fact that we're not perfect. And that's kind of the inspiration I got from my Dublin soundscape. This is Melissa Ridge for Reverberations. This is Dublin soundscape. The sounds of this city echo. I hear the shattering of windows at Dublin Castle by left-handed warrior Hannah Sheehy Skeffington. The eternal silence of St. Micken's crypts, mummies whose stories never die. As above, so below Dublin. I hear the bullets ricochet off Daniel O'Connell. I hear the explosions at the GPO. I hear the words of Countess Constance Markovich, her anthem of freedom, her fearless retaliation and calls for equality. I do wish your lot had the decency to shoot me. I love watching the wind through the leaves, your ballroom dance trees along Cunningham Road and the first glimpse I get of your rusty bike in abandoned traffic cone ocean dividing north and south. I love your nighttime, stepping onto your keys, breathing in the cat food aroma, black trickle potion of your Guinness-soaked Liffey. I wear Dublin on my hands and Kildare in my knees. You've seen me through school and college. My drunken souls have slapped your streets. I've cried in your corners and danced in your greens. I was not raised here, but I was born here. This is home to my granny's family. The stories my mom has told me about dismantling her buggy, hopping the 72 bus on her own outside the front step of the house on Oxmanstown Road, much to the panic of her mammy, my granny, at the escape of her three-year-old, the bus driver said, she'll be grand, it'll be round again in half an hour. I sit still amongst the chaos, listen to the lazy laps of Liffey's lips on the O'Connell Bridge base, note how it remains unchanged unaffected by the hustle and bustle of busy bodies, stampedes of rush hour suits, sneakers and pencil skirts. How very New York of you. A city for the elite, six cranes on one street, Dublin. You are an echo chamber of good intentions, but I still enjoy our conversations. You're all seagull screams, dart break squeals and boardwalk drug deals. The deep breath and sigh of kneeling Dublin buses and shimmy of high-heeled giraffe legs on cobbled streets, clinking glasses and cheers of slancha filled the streets of Temple Bar. Turn the corner on Henry and O'Connell and it's Jesus on the mic, who knew we could all be saved if we just condemned the sick and unrighteous. You've become a mixing pot of oil and water bubbling over, 
Sometimes it seems your river runs backwards, reversing its flow, like you've gone too far. You're trying to go back to what you know. This should feel like home. Dublin, you are my home, away from home, but I know I'll never live here. I can't afford to return to my family home on Oxmanstown Road. You've become a vampire, sucking life from your own wrist. But the tourists don't see this in Viking hats on city splash tours. I still see your beauty, Dublin, but it's hard to ignore the sound of cracks widening, tenants leaving, rents increasing. The salt spit winds that whip the sides of tents that sound so familiar to the flags down the quays, echoing the cheers of Dublin matches and the annual parade of rainbow pride, boasting we are you, you are me. It's hard to ignore the sounds of doors closing, film based, the Bernard Shaw, but our re-ra-rulia-bulia spirit keeps getting louder, drowning out whispers, sorry ma'am, have you got any change? Dublin, you're all Scania truck face, fading more street markets and Saturday fleas, stained yesterday's jeans, don't forget your story. Feel your shame pour out of bullet holes and statues when the prince comes to taste your nectar. You boast the largest park in Europe, but just for fun, try to spot the stag between the sea of tents lined up on the president's front step. Your tallest building is Liberty Hall in her green hat caped in politics. Don't forget where you came from. I date each poem from your broken places. See faces that appear in circles of smoke, then disappear through back-turned doorways. Soaked in flames and battery acid, race past crowds, drowning spirits that soothe these souls, these sodden forgotten fools, uniformed ghouls and bowler hats and shiny shoes. I don't stay for long. I'm lost amongst the people eager to go home to their satellite towns. In time to eat, sleep, repeat, and do it all again. I'm on the bus, gone, Zoom. I won't forget to say thank you. This programme was made with the support of the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with the television licence fee. Reverberations. 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 Produced by Alan Meany.